Welcome to Ask the Music Director, a podcast where I get to interview some of my favorite singers, actors, and music makers about what makes them who they are, and they get to ask me, the music director, anything they want. I'm your host, Dennis Curley. Today I'll be talking with James A. Rocco, who began his career as the youngest member of the art link letter Totten Tots. Since then, he has worked around the world, from Broadway to Tokyo, garnering accolades and awards from critics and audiences alike. Most recently, he was the Vice President of Programming and Producing Artistic Director at the Ordway Center for the Performing Arts in St. Paul, where he booked distinctive Broadway tours like August Osage County and Next to Normal, participated as a producing partner on the Broadway productions of The Color Purple and Fun Home, and produced Ordway's award-winning productions of Love Janice, Cabaret, Jesus Christ Superstar, West Side Story, In the Heights, and Grey Gardens. His Broadway songbook series was one of the Ordway's most anticipated yearly events. He is a Broadway actor and director who has sung with Frank Sinatra and Herbie Hancock, and we spoke at my studio in North Minneapolis. Well, Jamie Rocco, thank you so much for doing this. This is such a pleasure for me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad you asked. Thanks, yeah, Dennis. We're like old friends. This is great. I know. We've, we've known each other for a while. Um, and I, I have to start with uh, um, how we all know you. because, uh, And I want to talk about you know what you did uh, as a kid and what you did in New York. But we all know you because you came here to the Twin Cities. And maybe it doesn't seem this way to you, but sort of... Um, burst onto the scene and became the brand new artistic director at uh, Ordway Center for the Performing Arts. And uh, honestly, I'll say this as somebody who didn't spend a lot of time there. I've done shows there, but uh, certainly not my my way of life. You turned that place around from a place that was sort of the home of the orchestra and the occasional touring show to an actual force for producing musical theater in the Twin Cities. Is that is that how you feel? Well, thanks. It thanks to? for noticing. Yeah, I absolutely noticed. Um, is that why you were brought in? Is that Yeah, how, that was my you? intention. You know, I came here uh, for the job interview, and I'll tell you a secret. I was actually thinking of it as just keeping up my job hunting skills because I oh, wasn't wow. looking for a job like that. Okay. Um, but then I saw the Ordway, and um, I have a real fixation with the Mississippi River because I was obsessed with Huckleberry Finn at okay. one point. <laughs> and I went and hung out at the, Huckle- at the Huckleberry Finn River, and I, <laughs> I walked past Park Square, and I saw they were doing Anna in the Tropics. Oh. And and then I smelled the caramel corn of Candyland and thought, I got to clean up my act and get this job. <laughs> and uh, then I hung out with some artists in the Twin Cities and I thought, I really want to be part of this scene. It really looked like an opportunity because the Ordway was known for music theater. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that they wanted to produce full-scale Broadway quality musicals, which yeah. was something that I could do. Uh, I didn't always start in the business that way. And that mm-hmm. wasn't ori- originally my intention, but that's what... My career had grown into, and that's what I knew how to do. And all of a sudden, here I was able to get some vital uh, stuff going on at the Ordway. And I don't know if you know this about the – I'm sure you do because you you are one of the artistic directors who talk to people and you listen. <laughs> but in, in the Twin Cities, the problem we had and, and the frustration with us in the in the acting community was that uh, there were very few places that were doing musicals, just for one, I mean, if you didn't want to drive 50 miles out of town to do Chanhassen, you were, uh, you were not really 50, but you know what I mean. Um, 
The Guthrie was bringing all their talent in from New York. Mm -hmm. And anyone uh, in downtown Minneapolis was bringing all their talent in from New York. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for those of us in the cities, there was no venue. And, and you guys were a big part of, of providing that. Um, did you, were you aware of that at the time? Yes, I could. I saw that when I got here. Be, I sussed out what was going on in the scene here, and also in the scene nationally, mm -hmm. because the Ordway was bringing me in and basically saying, "What? What do you think we should do?" That was part of the job interview. Mm -hmm. And what I saw was a gap in the cities that no place was really owning being the home of musical theater. Yeah. And so I approached them with that idea because I've always been involved in the evolution of the art form. That's really been my passion. The evolution. Okay. of popular music. Okay. So had you been uh, the artistic director of such a large company before? I uh, had three other positions as an artistic director of a regional theater. I had started some companies in New York City that were smaller and more based. Okay. I was involved with a friend of mine, Christine Toy Johnson, in a company called the Tapestry Group that wanted to represent the face of all people okay. in the arts. Uh, but that was a much smaller company. But I had run Lyric Theater of Oklahoma, and I also was the interim artistic director for Stage One in uh, Wichita, Kansas. And w did these jobs sort of come one upon each other? Was this a succession? No, there was always a good break between them. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I tend to, I've always been an artist, so and I've always followed my muse. So all of a sudden, you probably don't know this, it's not in my bio, but for a while, I was intrigued by visual art. So I started doing visual art in a gallery really? in Soho. Oh, wow. And somehow, I've had this very zigzaggy career of, oh, I'm interested in that. I guess I'll go and see if I can do something. And the next thing I know, something I've done is is hanging in a gallery. You know, it was like, it was, I, I just loved doing it. You know, see, I was a kid in show business. Yes. I, I went to a school of, with all show business mm -hmm, kids. Mm -hmm. We all, we had a switchboard there that would send us to auditions and jobs. And um, I, around the age of 16, after tap dancing my entire childhood, I refused to tap dance. I refused to do musicals. Huh. I wanted to only do avant-garde art in the East Village. Wow. And I did that and sang with a singing group until I was about 23. Hmm. Um, my parents, I guess, didn't really want me to be going to a different, they wanted me to go to a Catholic school. Okay. And, but uh, eventually they had to give in. Did they have any arts background at all? What's the funny thing is that my grandmother made her debut as a pianist when she was 12 years old at Carnegie Hall. Oh my gosh. But then she met my grandfather and dropped never played the piano. She played at home wow. occasionally, yeah. but it was very rough by the time I knew her. And so there was no real knowledge of sh show business yeah. so much. It was all like but an experiment the for them. It was, it was almost as if it was from a previous life, if hmm. you believe in that sort of thing. You, I had an instinct for knowing how to tap dance or knowing ballet or knowing how to sing. I just, I could do it. Hmm. And then I was lucky enough to meet people who nurtured me. I mean, I really feel fortunate to have worked with many of the people that I worked with and who actually, <laughs> I joke about this all the time, that I'm the last connection to vaudeville, hmm. that I actually was taught by the people who mm -hmm. did vaudeville. Such I'm, as? Uh, Henry Letang, Jerry Ames, uh, this woman named Kathy Harris, Charlie Lowe. You know, these were all like 
in my in the sixties when I was a kid, or even like someone like David Merrick, who was you know a notorious Broadway producer mm -hmm. in the fifties and mm -hmm. the sixties, who I worked with, and I was the kind of kid that would not play. I was really always interested in the art, so I thought nothing of sitting myself down next to Sidney Lumet. Wow, you know, and I'd like. <laughs> be there and I'd listen to everything they were saying yeah. and I took notes. I directed my first show in New York when I was 16 wow. and I produced it too. And it was in a uh, theater that was a theater complex, very similar to the Ordway, a performing arts complex that had six theaters yeah. in it. And it was playing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and a, and a number of other shows, mm -hmm. El Grande de Coca-Cola mm -hmm. and a few other shows. And I had performed in a show there in the winter. And I look back on it now and I realize the people who helped make this happen must have thought this was good publicity or a good dog and pony show or something. But here I am, this 60-year-old sure. kid, producing and directing sure. his first yeah, off-Broadway yeah, yeah. show. And uh, to make it more exciting, the building collapsed to the ground. <laughs> I, during, think I, read, I think I read this story. <laughs> that was my baptism to the world of producing. So I, nothing has ever been... A, that horrifying to me since. You know? Because the first show you directed and produced, the building literally came down around your ears. Fell to the ground. <laughs> and my father, God bless him, he, uh, I refused to leave the site because I was, you know, a young guy. I'm going to yeah. get my show out of that building. Yeah. And believe it or not, Dennis, the, most of the shows, most of the theaters were destroyed, but my particular theater, the, it caved in and there it was like a, it just caved in in, in, a, in a way that much of my set could oh my be gosh. Um, saved yeah. and we were able to do the show. Wow, uptown. and no one was hurt. No one was hurt. No we got everyone hurt. out of the building. What, what was your, what did your dad do? My dad worked for the newspaper. Okay, and what part of, did you live in Manhattan or? Uh, I was born in Astoria, okay. Queens, and mostly we lived in Whitestone, but by okay. the time I was 16, I was living in Manhattan myself. I moved to LA shortly after that, uh, did a little stint where I was making teeny bopper records, okay. came back to New York and uh, was in, you know, doing this kind of avant-garde art and working in this singing group that I dearly dearly loved and i thought that i would be a harmony singer for my doing studio work and that sort of thing that's what i really thought i would do okay. and then do this offbeat writing and poetry and yeah uh i want to come back to the singing group in a second but what and what did your mom your dad worked for which newspaper he started out working for the star journal moved to the press and ended up at newsday okay and, yeah. and what did your mom do uh She's my mom is a creative woman. She always was doing something. She was starting businesses. Oh, yeah. really? But you know, small businesses. Sure. She would have a clothing store. She okay. was into for a while she was into handling exquisite leather handbags and things. Okay. Yeah. And and did they just think, oh, there's, you know, there's young Jamie off doing another show? Or did they were they invested in your career in a in a way that other people's parents are, or did they sort of let you run wild? <laughs> <laughs> they probably thought they'd let me run, run wild. Uh, they were supportive, but for example, when we would drive into the city for an audition, my mother wouldn't come upstairs with me. Okay. She would, you know, I yeah. go out. I guess when I was, you know, four and five and six and seven, she did. I don't remember that as clearly, but I have these clear memories of, you know, being dropped off and. Mm -hmm. Benton and Bowles, a big advertising agency, you know, to go in for my commercial audition. Or once she was so disappointed because she dropped me off at 57th Street, old NOLA studios to go up to audition for MAME. 
And who did I read with but Susan Hayward? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I came down and I said, you know, there was this redheaded woman oh. who I read with and she called me honey and she, you know, she put my hat on and tied this. And she said, what was her name? And I was like, Susan. And then my mother found out it was, Susan. you know, it was like that was my life story. So it didn't. It was cool. Now I yeah. think it's cool. I, yeah. You know, when I see I want to live or one yeah, of those yeah, movies yeah, that yeah, she yeah, made. Yeah. yeah. There, there are people who come to the Twin Cities who uh, make sure you know their credits and everything about them. And honestly, I don't think I knew any of these things about you without dragging them out of you. You don't walk around and sort of, you know, advertise your, your resume, uh, which I think is lovely. Uh, that's just the kind of person you are. Um, but you, you did uh, move in a large pond. Do you, I think I know how you're going to answer this, but coming here to the Twin Cities, what is the what does the artistic community feel like to you here? Well, I I obviously must like it because I'm still here. Uh, I really was intrigued by the artistic community here because it, it isn't all driven by money. And that was something that was really interesting to me. I've had some wonderful experiences where I've made good money, but they haven't always been my best experiences. And hmm. my best experiences have been with other artists who want to make art. Did you find things in New York were driven by money? A lot, yes. More recently, uh, in, you know, in the 70s when I was producing mm -hmm. uh, the show that we just talked about, um, it seemed more scrappy. Sure. And more you could try anything. Yeah. Um, what's interesting to me is like some of the stuff that, you know, I'm talking about this place in the village where I did this show called the Mercer Art Center. It was a lot along the lines of La Mama. Okay. And, um, La Mama obviously existed too, but we were doing things that were aspiring to be like Hamilton. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And it's wonderful to see that that has become uh, accepted and by the larger community. But we were really able to experiment. And that was considered very fringy to have mm -hmm. a cast of multicultural people mm -hmm. uh, to even consider, you know, mixing yeah. races. Uh, and all of a sudden I got a call to direct Oklahoma. Hmm. And I thought they had the wrong number. I really did. I was like, why? Why me? And it was at a fairly reputable, it was a theater that really was opening a door for me. Okay. And it was going to be the 50th anniversary production of Oklahoma. At, uh, and um, they said, read the play. We want somebody that's going to understand that it has political implications. And we feel it could be pertinent to a 20th century audience. Wow. Um, and I did read the play. And once I had that permission... I saw something in it that I hadn't seen before, hmm. and that was the political statement about how Republicans and Democrats should get together, blacks and whites should yeah. get together. And I just was blown away that they were saying that I could see that that's what Oscar Hammerstein was saying. And hmm. all of a sudden, I felt a kinship to it. And I took the job, and luckily it was successful because I got other jobs. Yeah. So that sent me huh. on a whole different path from your time in new york you were a dancer first i guess well if and i never thought of myself as a dancer 
Well, except there you were at the age of three. Yeah, yeah. Dancing but I guess I was. Group. Uh, a dancer who became, a, I'm just trying to chronologically, dancer, actor, director, producer. Maybe those two happened at the same time. Is that about... I was a I was a dancer and singer as a kid. I was mm-hmm. part of a group called the Do Re Mi Children's Chorus okay. that you could buy their records at the supermarket, and okay. we'd be like singing all the Irish hits or all the you know whatever. And um, yeah, then I was an actor, I guess you know. And then uh, I I started directing, and then I was producing. Yeah, I guess that's the order it went. Okay, yeah. Well, what do you um of uh, Let's take that span of birth through the age of 20 what what are you most proud of oh, i couldn't say dennis it um i really loved that i was able to learn from people who actually did the work and so to have someone like henry letang teach you as uh unconventional as mm-hmm. he was as a teacher mm-hmm. Uh, connected me directly to the Nicholas Brothers and then to work on Sophisticated Ladies, a show that Henry and the Nicholas Brothers Mm -hmm. both worked on and then I got to be in it. That was amazing for me, you know, to feel or, you know, to have a connection to Gregory Hines, to have this like Mm -hmm. touchstone of like, and I think that's what has made me want to work with other artists. One of the biggest joys here in the Twin Cities has been... uh, people coming to me and saying, I want to learn how to do what you do. Mm-hmm. And at first I try to discourage them and say, like, you don't know what you're asking <laughs> for. Uh, but, uh, you know. Meaning as a producer director. Uh, actually, the one I most, the ones I'm most proud of are the actors and, yeah. the, and, the, and the directors and choreographers. There's this one young woman who has a dance company called Shapeshift, and it's a hip-hop company, mm-hmm. and I had been a fan of theirs. And she came to me and talked to me and said she'd been trying to talk to other artistic mm-hmm. directors because which she wanted to learn how to direct musicals ah. and choreograph them. Mm-hmm. And I told her that she could trail me if she wanted, and it was... Oh, it was a love fest. I mean, literally, she, when I did In the Heights at the Ordway, which is the last show that I really was involved in mm-hmm. at the Ordway, we had three young choreographers uh, working on the show. I, oh, wow. Great. I yeah. mentored them, and they really yeah. Yeah. staged the show. I, I, ba- I basically would map out the numbers mm-hmm. and then say to them, you know, people need to be in a group here and mm-hmm. that it needs to open up and it needs to, this is here, the lift of the music. I taught them about structuring hmm. and I also showed them how uh, a system I use with pennies to move people around stage. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, instead of salt and pepper shakers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, all right. and uh, they all, and they basically then uh, with me watching them, mm-hmm. but it was like, we let them do the mm-hmm. show with us and mm-hmm. it was fantastic. So, okay. So, when did you first leave New York? Oh, geez. I left my parents' house when I was 16. I graduated mm-hmm. from high school then. Um, and I That's went. That's a little young. It was. Okay. Uh, I, I always had this sense that I had to go fast. Okay. Um, Do you still have that sense? Not as much. Okay. Something about living here has changed me. I've learned a lot about breathing and taking life in. Hmm. But I, so I moved out, I moved to New York, then I went to LA and I then was based in New York City. I had a home in New York City for 33 years, a beautiful, wonderful home. 
And I was based there, but I traveled about 40 weeks a year. I think most most people, I, I think that's true of most New York-based artists. That's why you say New York-based instead of New York yeah. artists, right? Um, I how, mean, lucky enough to work on Broadway from sure. time to time, but yeah. it was, you know, it was, you work you, in the world. What were you doing in L.A.? And how long were you there? Uh, when I was making records. I was making records. So, yeah, go back. So that you were in this, you mentioned the singing group, and I'm sensing from what you're saying about it that you guys were a studio group. We were both. We performed live, and okay. we it was studio group. And, and um, for reference for the people listening, are we talking like Manhattan Transfer yeah, kind of group? it was okay. like a Manhattan Transfer kind of group. And you were called? We had three different names. Okay. We were called City Lights for a while. Okay. Then we were called Ginger Ale, the sound of American pop. <laughs> and then we were called the Populaires. And how many of you were they? It started yeah. out there were five of us. Okay. And it, it, in the end, there were four. And were you... Uh, Two men, two women. Where we, it was a uh, our musical director, male, and mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. and two women. Okay, and were you the with a band, not not acapella? Oh no, no, not acapella. It was with a band. Okay, we didn't have our own band. We would in those days. I was joking about this with someone the other day. You'd carry your charts, and you'd go to wherever you'd go, and like. Puerto Rico, we'd go down to the Ceramar Beach Hotel, and we had charts, I think, for 12 or 15 pieces. Mm -hmm. But whatever size band they had at these places, those were the charts you'd hand out. So okay. sometimes you'd be do. I always joke that this the worst gig was when we showed up and they had a snare drum <laughs> and a trumpet. <laughs> you know, a piano, a snare drum, and a trumpet. That and is a good guys. band. <laughs> yes. And, and the sound of American pop, ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most exotic place you got to go with that group? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't. Everything. I'll tell you one of the more exotic places I went. I was for a while singing with a country group called Southern Comfort. We used to open for Eddie Arnold. Ah. And when Eddie Arnold was, when we weren't opening for Eddie Arnold, I was the lead singer with Southern Comfort. Well, one of the lead singers mm -hmm. with Southern Comfort. They were, you know, sort of like the Oak Ridge Boys mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I did sing all the leads, but sung a good chunk of them. Yeah. I didn't really do a lot with Eddie. Um, but we played Sri Lanka. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that exciting? In Colombo, the is, capital? Is that yeah, where it is? That's where it is, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes, yes. Okay. So you you traveled the world, and was that your was that your passion? That group was the singing. Oh, the I vocal wanted singing? to be in a singing group because you've sung, you sang backup for Sinatra. You've worked with Herbie Hancock. Yeah. You've done. I mean, again, the Broadway credits are great, but it sounds like that's what you really love. That's what I really wanted to do. How did you start in that? I guess when I was um, about sixteen, I stopped. Uh, I really didn't want to tap dance anymore. Okay. And I really wanted to sing. And I was really... Was it, was it like physical, like it, this is beating my body up? Or no, it now just, it's beating my body okay. up. Uh, <laughs> it just wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't I, interesting. Do you want to be on? I'll be absolutely... Should I be honest? Yeah. Uh, I thought it wasn't masculine. Oh, interesting. And I thought I shouldn't be known as a tap dancer. Wow. And I, I think I, some people might say that's one of the more masculine forms of dance. Okay. I don't yeah, know. You know, we yeah. all have our psychology, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I always wanted to be a singer. I mean, okay. from the my earliest memories are watching American Bandstand mm. and wanting to be like Dion okay. or Bobby Rydell sure. or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was what really, you know, I should do. A guy from New York City, mm -hmm. I should be a king of the New York streets and sing. Okay. You know, 
And uh, then my dream came true. I mean, I really studied. I studied. Well, I was doing Carousel with John Raitt. I was yeah. playing Enoch Snow Jr. And there was a wonderful woman who was playing Mrs. Mullins. And she really changed my life. Her name was Luba, Luba Chareski, Madam Luba for <laughs> me. <laughs> she pulled me on the side. First of all, I had said that I was 18 to be in this show. But I was 16. Oh, okay. But, but I went to professional children's school. So no, I didn't miss school. You know, no one, yeah. it wasn't a problem. Yeah. Anyway, she caught on that I wasn't singing the high notes and June is busting out all over. She busted me hmm. and said, you don't, you, you should be able to sing an E flat easily. And, you know, I'm 16 years old. I don't know what she's talking about, mm -hmm. but I'm like, okay, you know, what? And she said, I'm going to teach you how to sing. And wow. she, all of a sudden I had this bel canto singing book, singing. Wow. And right off the bat, oh, I, oh, I, don't move your jaw. Don't move your <laughs> yeah. jaw. Oh, lift your palate. Lift. <clears throat> and studied with her. And all of a sudden I could sing. Wow. And then I and then I started doing ear training and stuff. And then mm -hmm. I, all I wanted to do was sing harmony, and um, that's what I thought I'd do. Okay. And back then, I mean, those musicals were not that. No, they're you know, there's the the difference between um, Carousel and City of Angels is like night and day. I mean, it's a different kind yes. of singing. Yes. I, I, honestly, I do believe that it's because I sang like that that I got cats. Not so much my dancing. Okay. I went to the Cats audition. I kind of thought it would be fun because my first audition when I was a kid for a Broadway show mm -hmm. was at the Winter Garden Theater for Maine with Angela Lansbury. And I never ended up in Maine, but I auditioned for it like a hundred times as a kid. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time at the Winter Garden Theater. Sure. And Cats was at the Winter yeah. Garden Theater. And we were going to get to sing. You, the audition was at the Winter Garden. And we we're going to get to sing on the stage. And so and I... This, this thing that you've been dreaming of. Yeah, I was like, I can now go back to the Winter Garden <laughs> yeah. and sing. And I went to the Cats audition and I sang Runaway, the oh, old funny. Del Shannon yeah. song. Yeah. Uh, you know, run, 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 mm -hmm. run away. And, they, and I was in like jeans and cowboy boots yeah. and like my rock and roll outfit. And they said, can you come back at five o'clock? And I was like, sure, you know, I can. But inside I'm thinking, Cats, hearty, har, 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 har. Mm -hmm. And never thinking to ask about dancing. So I show up at five o'clock. Still in your cowboy boots. Still in my cowboy yeah. boots and jeans and everything. And all these Broadway dancers are in mm -hmm. like, you know, spandex. But I can dance. Yeah. So they start giving the combination. I'm auditioning for Rum Tum Tugger, who's the rock and roll cat. So I had just sung Runaway. And now I'm in cowboy mm -hmm. boots, jumping around like a cat. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I'm the last one on the stage. And I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> I'm in cats. <laughs> and that's it was unexpected. Yeah. I know, because we've talked about this before, that you want to do more performing now. Mm-hmm. Was there a span when your other work prevented you from doing that? Absolutely. And how long was that span? 20 years. And what was that like? What, what, what? During that 20 years, I got to play the witch and Into the Woods. Yeah. And that was otherworldly and wonderful because I really could like live it and be mm -hmm. it. I had never explored what it would be like to be a woman. Yeah. I never even crossed my mind that that would be something 
you would do. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it opened up a whole new world for me, and it was amazing. But I and where I did you do that show? In at Walnut Street. Yeah. Uh, for fourteen weeks, mm -hmm. so it was a long enough run that I was able to really kind of see what it was like. Mm -hmm. uh, to play that part, and I, I didn't, I did love it every single performance, but I'm not too keen on being another person. Hmm. Uh, I like thinking about the psychology of all the characters and how it interacts, mm -hmm. and it's hard for me not to notice, like, oh, that Fresnel should be, you know, is not <laughs> focused, and it's this, as I was saying, because as a kid, I sat next to yeah the directors and the producers listening. To what I was fascinated by, like, oh, he's not in his light. And, yeah. and sometimes I'm not in my light. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting that you got to have that experience so early because I've, I've talked to just people through the years and, and I say, the second I got to be on the other side of the table, I became a much better performer. Oh, absolutely. And, and you got that from the beginning. Um, and yet there was this middle span when you had to be on that side of the table and you didn't, yeah. you weren't performing. Yeah, no, I mean, I've always done, you know, and it's so funny because you hit it right on the head. I mean, I, I came to the Twin Cities and my entire life changed. So I all of a sudden was living in Minnesota and I didn't know anybody. They don't know me. Um, my partner had no idea that I sang. <laughs> and one night we were drunk enough and I was singing karaoke <laughs> and I sat back at the table and he was like, you know how to sing? And I was like, yeah, I was in Cats. He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, it's freaky. I've always done those Broadway songbooks. Mm -hmm. I've been doing them since the 80s. Okay. Um, and part of the reason I did is because I had this background in living with the material yeah. so I could chat about yeah. it. And I had been doing them my whole life. And that would be one way that I could get away with singing. So tell me what, tell people, for people who don't know, tell us what those- The Broadway, the Broadway Songbook yeah. is uh, is an entertainment, is a concert mm -hmm. where we talk about the evolution of music mm -hmm. through uh, a, setting it against what was going on politically and socially in the United States at that time. So you get background on why the songs were written and how mm -hmm. they actually affected the culture. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people walk out with having had a great time at a show, but also walking out with much seeing that there's a lot more behind these songs mm -hmm. than just, I feel the earth move under my feet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and it at the Ordway, mm -hmm. uh, there was a period of time when the Ordway wasn't producing when I was there. And I pulled out of my back pocket the idea that I look, I used to do these things in New York. Why don't we do these? Because I didn't want to. I really wanted to continue to work with the artists in in the Twin yeah. Cities. Yeah. And so I, I know I called you around yeah. that time. I, I got to do it. Full disclosure, I was in one. I got to sing <laughs> that wonderful Al Jolson song. Um, you did. I still sometimes wake up thinking about that because that was a stretch for me. Vocally. Was it Rockabye, your baby, or was it a? I think it was Rockabye. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a stretch vocally. I don't remember why now I'd have to look at the music and say, oh, yeah, it's because of that note on that vowel or whatever. But it was it was like I had to work at that. That's one of and the joys of fun. seeing someone like you do that. Yeah. In this time at the Ordway, uh, what talk to us who were on the outside a little bit about what it was like to program there and uh, how much choice did you have? Uh, huh. What did you get? Was there, what was the, the show you were most proud to bring? What was the thing you most wanted to do that you could never do? What, what, what was that? Was I think uh, the shows, the touring shows that I was most proud to bring were August Osage County mm -hmm. and uh, Next to Normal. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really thrilled 
that we could uh, be part of those landmarks. Okay, who's, and were the, was that place. easy? Was it it's like, oh, I want to bring that? Uh, no, no, no. Call the board, um, they're going to say yes, it's all done? No, Wordway is, uh, that's funny. Yeah, I thought that when I first came <laughs> here. But no, I, we're in a very competitive market that with an, another theater company in the Twin Cities mm-hmm. that has that is part of a larger group mm-hmm. that um, has access to a lot more shows than yeah. Wordway had access to. Okay. So it, so it was difficult. It was always very, it was really part of the fun of the job in the 12 years was learning the strategies of mm-hmm. how to the things I never would have known about negotiating against a competitor mm-hmm. to get a Broadway tour. Interesting. Yeah. What about the shows you got to produce on your own? Oh, I, that was fantastic. It was wonderful. What the, was your favorite? What was the hardest to do? What was any, you know, what stands out in all of those shows? Because there are so many of them. Well, the hardest to do was Annie because I was really not there. You know, I had left, uh, my last day was in December, but... uh, Austin directed it? Austin Van directed Mm -hmm. it. And that was hardest for me because I literally was in Seattle directing another show while they were doing Annie. But from afar, I was supposedly overseeing it. Okay, sure. And I came back for the last couple of days of rehearsal. And that was difficult and it was emotionally hard too because I I was really no longer involved at the Ordway. Right. I got to say the best, the most exciting, gosh, every single one of them had something special about it. I really loved working in the McKnight. I loved I loved that space. Oh, it was I a great space. I got to do space. two shows there and it was yeah. Yeah, glorious. I loved doing Grey Gardens in there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really liked doing In the Heights. And I loved doing Damn Yankees. Brene uh, mm. Prola always referred to it as the, the best show that no one ever saw. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, it, by the time we got around to really telling people what it was, I, I got an opportunity to rewrite George Abbott's uh, piece so that it was an interracial love affair. Oh, okay. And so Meg was white and, mm-hmm. and, and Joe was black. Mm-hmm. So it was like a Jackie Robinson story. Mm. And I really just loved bringing that show into the 21st century yeah. in that way. Yeah. The rock musicals stand out for me. Oh, yeah? The Love Janice and Jesus oh, Christ yeah. Superstar and... Uh, Rocky Horror, right? Oh yeah, that was really I, you fun. know yeah. you you've done some sort of edgy things, edgy for St. Paul. Well, <laughs> Let's but, just say that. I don't know if you remember this, but Rocky Horror was one of the earliest ones that I did. Was it? See, I can't. The temporal, like placing them in time, is hard for me. It was fun, and at the end of it, I did this uh, video mm-hmm. of the Ordway blasting off into outer space. Yeah, that yeah. I still watch sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought that was so funny. That was so East Village of me. Yeah. Well, and we actually did the we did the farewell to the McKnight, right? A couple yeah. of days before you they were there. I was there. That was that was a lot of fun. That was you fun. did something really wonderful in the lobby that uh, I loved. That I just I, I the lobby is so beautiful and overwhelmingly mm-hmm. you know gorgeous at mm-hmm. the holidays, and you led a group of singers oh, yeah. who didn't just sing any old Christmas car. You were swinging. Yeah, we did. We did some great, we called the holiday singers. We did two Christmases in a row, right? I think the shows you were doing were White Christmas and uh, Sound of Music. And we we were the lobby singers. We sang some, we sang acapella downstairs as the people were coming in and putting their coats in the, in the coat check. And and we sang up around the piano upstairs. It was yeah, it was great fun. I was always so grateful. That, oh, and you were being quiet about being a pianist at a music. I remember mm-hmm. saying to you, Just, "You play the piano." <laughs> and, you know, I didn't. Know. Yeah. I had seen you in a show called um, 
Warm beer, cold women. Oh yes. And yeah. I saw you in that show, and I was like, oh my, oh man, that guy can sing. <laughs> All the music of Tom Waits. Yeah. Which production of that? Did you see the the Guthrie? Or did you see I the, saw uh, music it box? two places. Okay. I saw it twice. Okay. I saw it at the music box mm-hmm. and I saw it at the Guthrie. Okay. Yeah. That was a I want to bring that show back. Yeah. We, we want to do that again. That was a, that was great fun. That was great. What would you like to sing most now? I mean, if you know, if anything, any opportunity could fall into your lap as a singer right now, what would it be? Well, I love doing this Broadway songbook series that mm-hmm. I do. Um because it's it's open to pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we're really, I've taken, now that I've left the order, I'm able to really focus on it and actually have the opportunity to do what I do. I can direct and actually get to sing a little bit. Yes. And that's really been fantastic. And you're taking it beyond. So what do you, what what are your plans for this or what are you doing with this? Well, we're we're rolling out nationally and making it available on a national level. Okay. I don't know um, if it can go much further than that because of the, concept is that how music has affected American popular culture. But, you know, we've talked to people all over the country. There's also a book in process. And I think I mentioned to you that we're we're putting together some web modules Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a web series Mm -hmm. so that there will be accessible to people on the web some information about how this art form has existed. Mm -hmm. I would love to go all the way back to Stephen Foster, actually. Mm. Um, But for right now, I'll focus to the 150 years that Broadway's been in existence. There's plenty to pull from. We're talking about it. Would you you be willing to sing us an example of what you're talking about? Absolutely. All right. So what are we going to hear? You're going to hear Lullaby of Broadway, and I'll I'll tell you a little bit about it when I sing it. Okay, great. You're going to play? I'm going to play. Then let's do it. (laughs) All right, everybody, this is James Rocco singing Lullaby of Broadway. Come on along and listen to the lullaby of Broadway, the hip hooray and ballyhoo, the lullaby of Broadway. The subway train, the rattle of the taxi, the daffodils who entertain at Angelos and Maxis. When a Broadway baby says goodnight, it's early in the morning. Manhattan babies don't sleep tight until the dawn. This song was written by Harry Warren and Al Dubin for the 1933 motion picture 42nd Street. Most people have forgotten that 42nd Street began its life as a movie musical. In fact, it was never seen live and on stage until almost 50 years later. And that's what this edition of the Broadway Songbook was all about. The interaction between these two entertainment giants, Hollywood and Broadway. Broadway. 
the subway train, the rattle of the taxi, the daffodils who entertain at Angelo's and Maxie's. When a Broadway baby says goodnight, it's early in the morning. Manhattan babies don't sleep tight until the dawn. Good night, baby. Good night. The milkman is on his way. Sleep tight, oh my little baby. Sleep tight, let's call it a day and listen to the lullaby of old Broadway. That was great. I love it. And that is exactly how those songbooks work. That's uh, absolutely yeah. the song. So there's singing and then explanation and history and, and all of it. And I was telling you, I, I've been doing them for years and years and years, yeah. but we started doing them at the Ordway and Jeff Scott came to, was coming to all of mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And after one of the shows, he said to me, why did you say such and such? And I realized at that very moment that it would be fantastic to have a partner in crime yeah. in this endeavor yeah. who was giving me feedback from the yeah. audience's point of view. Oh, I love it. And it, I can't tell you, you know, I have always pretty much done them myself from the stage sure. down to the point of, I wish somebody would tell me, don't cross your legs like that, you know? <laughs> um, and that Jeff has become an, an, an integral part of the songbooks. It, they have become so much more accessible. Wonderful. Yeah. Nice. So, um, it's been a really interesting partnership. Nice. Yeah. Well, you've gotten to work with a lot of uh, interesting people, and this is the this is the turnabout part of the interview. This is we call the podcast "Ask the Music Director" because uh, uh, this is your chance to ask me. And you've you and I have never worked in that relationship no. before. I've never music directed a show you've directed. Uh, you've gotten to work with some amazing people, though. Um, so you may not. I, I, you probably don't have any questions on a personal level, but maybe you have questions that the listeners might be interested in. So well. I do actually have some personal questions okay. for you. Um, the first one is, what kind of rating system do you use? When I'm auditioning? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's it's sort of evolved from a five-point to a three-point uh, rating system. We'd get along. <laughs> I'm a three-point. Okay, yeah. But is one the top? Um, no, actually, it's for me. It's a it's the a neutral plus and minus. Okay. So it's like you know, check this person can do the job. Check plus this person can do the job. I'm very interested in seeing more. Check minus, uh, not so much. And but but within categories, you know, uh, I I might have I might think about depending on the show, of course. Um, it might be intonation might be a category. Yeah. Hey, check minus and intonation, but check plus and delivery because boy, I love the way you tell a story. You know what I mean? It's so it's that it's three point system over a spectrum. Someone early, early on taught me one that I've always used to this day. NOMS, not on my stage. 
<laughs> uh, there's uh, yeah okay. There's and I've a couple of those the, acronyms. I like that. I always tell the people in the hallway mm-hmm. that they can write on the picture P I A if someone is a pain in the. Oh, you're telling your audition monitor they can. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Because the people yep. often don't know that the people in the hallway yes. are actually part of the team. Yep. I've never actually had the monitor write anything. What what I usually do is uh, when the monitor brings in the person or when they're shepherding one person out and bringing us the headshot and resume of the next person coming in, we'll just have them tell us. But it is. It's. I don't think people think about it. But everything you do from the second you walk in the door, we're going to hear about. Exactly. How often have you ridden, ridden in the elevator with someone who walks in and sings yeah. for you? Oh, yeah. It happens. Do you like to have a pianist there and you sit at the table or do you mind? And how do you, how do you like to run it? I would rather sit at the table. I mm-hmm. do not like to play and think. I don't like to play and do a lot of things. I don't like to play and sing. I don't want to play and coach. I don't like to play and listen to an audition. Yeah. It's, it's too much. For me, I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are people who can do it and who do it quite well, but my insight as a music director goes beyond what my ears hear. I think my eyes are of value as well. Yeah. So if I'm looking at the music, I can't, I feel like I can only give 50% of my skills. As an actor, you bring something else to the table other than just sound. Yes. You know, exactly. so that's really exactly. beautiful. Yeah. The, the people that we think of as stars didn't always have the most beautiful voices. Right. Question for you. When you were performing, mm-hmm. were you always concerned about the way you sounded? For a long time, yes. Absolutely. There came a time when I stopped. Yeah. But absolutely. Yeah, I had a switch too at yeah. one point in my life. But it was, and it was, I remember the moment it happened. It was on stage. When mm-hmm. did it happen for you? When I changed. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden you realized it's not about the sound of my voice. Um. It was a production I did in college uh, of Baby, and Ah. I just had one of those weird transformational moments on stage where I was in the moment in a way that I had never been before and have only rarely been since. Everything changed because I realized it's a, it's, it became less about me doing the show and it became about the show doing itself through me. You know what I mean? Yes. That's what I was talking about before, what is like certain parts I'm willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And then other things I'll just know right off the bat. I'm not yeah. I'm not the person that can go there. Yeah. So that I can channel the yeah. show. Yeah. And once you've had that experience, mm-hmm. it's there's no turning back. No. No, there isn't. There's no turning back. <laughs> when you're musical directed, do you ever think I could sing this better. Yeah, ah. I do. Sorry. <laughs> I hate that I have to answer that truthfully. But yes, it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's a hard thing. And yet, uh, I also think um, I'm a very supportive music director. Oh, sure. I don't think anyone would ever know that I might think that. <laughs> because I really do want the show to be the best it can be. And I'm going to do everything I can to get everybody to the level that they need to be at. <laughs> But there are times. <laughs> I have to admit, there are times when I'm, I have thought yeah. the same thing. It's like, sure. oh, for goodness sakes, it's just don't rain on my parade. Sing it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cut the angst out. <laughs> well, Jamie, this has been amazing. Thank you. Really a pleasure. Thank you so much. I love talking to you under any Thanks. circumstance, but I appreciate that you're willing to, to come over here and do this. It means a lot. Anytime for lot. you. I, I love being around you. Oh, likewise. Thank you. 
Today you heard James sing Lullaby of Broadway from 42nd Street, written by Al Dubin and Harry Warren. All our podcast music is licensed through Harry Fox Agency. You can find James on the web at jamesrocco.com and broadwaysongbook.com. Tune in next week when my guest will be Leslie Ball. Who walked into the cabaret? He walked into the cabaret one night as an audience member. Wow. And I certainly noticed him because Hmm. he is gorgeous. (laughs) And uh, he's very handsome. Oh, gosh. (laughs) He asked to perform the next Saturday. Okay. He was very quiet. Um, and he juggled his first week. Or really? He did, he did Diablo. Do you know what Diablo is? With the uh, sticks, sticks and the strings. Yeah. It's sort of a yeah. Chinese yeah. Yeah. thing. And, and he was brilliant. And, and then he just kind of kept coming around and hanging out and well, talked a little bit more. He played Does music. Does he sing too? And he... Yes, he sings. And okay. he would do these songs about being in love with this woman who seemed really uh, unattainable. <laughs> and I would, th- I would listen to him and think, I wonder who he's singing about. Well, she's oh. lucky. He's such a great guy. I really liked him. We started hanging out. At one point, my tech director couldn't make it, and I happened to be hanging with Ocean, and I turned to him and said, could you do And mm-hmm. he said, yeah. And he's been our really? tech director okay. ever since. Wow. So good at it. He created a couple shows and asked me to do music. And uh, so, yeah, we were buddies for three years. Okay. And then he sat me down one day and asked that we be more than buddies. Oh. And I said, I have a standard speech that I give right now of, well, thank you very much. I'm very flattered. I'm not looking for a relationship. But for some reason, I don't feel compelled to give you that speech. And I don't know what that means. Wow. I was so, I'm so grateful that I was that in the moment. Yeah. And just reporting as I was feeling. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) And so we started dating. And, you know, within two weeks, I was gaga. Over the moon. Just. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Do you have any comments, questions, suggestions? You can always reach me on Facebook at Ask the MD Podcast or on the webpage AskTheMDPodcast.com. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get a chance, leave us a review. It'll help others find their way to us. Thank you.